0: Don't worry, baseball fans. We're going to be back real soon.
1: Welcome to Let's Get Two, your tour of America through the lens of minor league baseball. Baseball from sea to shining sea. And now, the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher. Presented by BaseballMapper.com.
0: And welcome to Let's Get To I'm your host, James Christopher, and I'm coming to you from an empty ball field. But don't worry about it. Tonight, some of these ball fields will not be empty as it is minor league baseball's opening day. Now, before we jump into minor league baseball and its opening day, I do want to do a big shout to one of my longtime friends, Carla Rodriguez, who not only has supported the show through our link tree, but is also one of our very first Patreon subscribers. So check that out. We'll have some exclusive content for you guys. But yes... Minor League Baseball opening day. As you wake up and listen to this episode or watch this episode, everyone's 0-0. That's what I love about baseball is today, anything's possible. Your team can win the championship, even if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates you're not going to win the championship if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, sorry. But I love, that. I love that about baseball. Everything's about hope. Everybody's excited to get out to the ballpark. We've got a great episode coming for you today. We're going to be talking to the Midland Rockhounds. We're going to hear a little bit from the St. Angelo CVB. And we're going to talk a little baseball movies and meet another member of the Curve Brim Media. So stay with us.
2: The St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know's on third. That's what I want to find uh, out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know's on third. You know the fellas' then, names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellas's.
1: Who's on, on first? first? Who? The let's the get to team base, of the week. Who? The guy on first base.
2: Who's presented first?
1: by the baseball bucket list podcast.
2: I'm not asking you, I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on
0: first. And so we're excited to welcome back to Let's Get To, good friend of the show, Jeff Van Holly from your Midland Rockhounds. Jeff, first of all, how you doing? We're, what, like two or three weeks away from opening day.
2: Yeah, Jim, we're doing good here in Midland. We're excited to have a full season, of minor league baseball, and, you know, really looking forward to getting our players here and getting this thing started.
0: Yeah, it's, it's got to be interesting because, you know, and what I love, I love how every single minor league team in lockstep was saying, We are not affected by the lockout. We are still going to be here, but it's nice to to know that all baseball is going to be back, right?
2: Yeah, for sure it is. I mean, obviously, we were as excited as any and and all other minor league teams to know that we were going to have a full season. At the same time, you know, um, you know, we're all fans. You know, even the people in minor league offices. You know, we want major league to play as well. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. So when they got all their stuff figured out, it was just icing on the cake or whatever. And you know, we're playing, they're playing, so it's all good.
0: Let's talk a little bit about you guys because um sort of in the in the mix of all of these brands coming out and all of these new identities and teams rebranding, new teams popping up. You guys just dropped, I think, one of the best rebrands I've seen since we started doing this show. First of all, why? change some of the iconography from what it was before?
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question because we feel like what we had before was not broken. It was still working for us. We just thought that it was a little bit dated, had a little bit of that 2000-ish look and that we wanted to do something new. Uh, At the same time, we didn't want to completely reinvent the wheel. We wanted to take a lot of those elements that we had that we liked that we thought were still good and just kind of put a fresh stamp on that um, and we feel like we you know kind of achieve achieved those objectives by you know the different series of new logos that we were able to to do in conjunction with torch um, and man we think it's a home run.
0: It, it absolutely is and there's a certain I, I understand now that you say that I get what you mean by the 90s thing, I like that it feels super classy the look without, again, like changing the major identity. Was there any any thought of changing the, the identity at all? Or was this always going to be purely we're rebranding what we already
1: have?
2: Yeah, no. So that was on the table, you know, kind of redoing everything for about a second and a half. Um, and we immediately threw that away, said, no, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to take what we've got. We're going to, you know, modernize it. We're going to update it to bring it into 2022. You know, I guess, I mean, Jim, you kind of know what other minor league teams do in terms of brands now that we're in, you know, now 2022, but even going back to 18 and 19 and I guess 20 that we missed, you know, you kind of saw a shift um, in terms of that, that that image, that look that minor league teams had and we wanted to get there. Um, and we think we did.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about some of the, some of the inspiration for it. And one of the things I think I really love about it, and that's what I love about the entire identity of the Rockhounds. It's what's best about minor league baseball is it's reflection of the oil industry. And I love how you've kept that. It is your bread and butter. How important was that to sort of make sure that the community felt like these are still our Rockhounds?
2: Yeah, very important. I mean, that was the driving factor, you know, I mean, obviously we're in the heart of oil country here in West Texas uh, and we, we weren't, and we didn't want to lose um, you know, that image and that association. Cause that's, that's, that's who we are. The Rockhounds wouldn't be here. I don't think um, if it wasn't for, you know, all of the, the, the corporate and the, the fans in West Texas here. So we had to keep that. Um, at the same time, um, you know, there's a way to kind of update that uh, that whole look and also kind of maybe bring in a little bit of w- a- a- another um, definition of a rock hound, which is, you know, somebody who goes out and mines for minerals. So it was really important for us to have a very unique letter M. And when we first started getting Um, different ideas from Torch, Um, you know, there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 different, you know, styles with the M and just kind of said, that's not, those are good, but it's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for something that's really unique. A lot of those initial ones, um, you know, Not necessarily somebody else had because they didn't have them. It just wasn't, I guess, unique enough for us. Um, And those guys are awesome. They are so good to work with. And and I highly recommend those guys. Um, You know, they kind of listened to what we were saying and what we wanted going forward and said, yeah, we can do that. You know, give us a week and we'll come back at you with something else. They came back at us with that rock hammer M said, love it.
0: So let's talk a little bit. One of the things you guys did, um, you've embraced the state of Texas, and I I never understand minor league teams in this state not embracing that as part of their identity because I don't know if you're from Texas. I am, and being a Texan is very part of my identity. So how important was it, or was that y'all's idea or theirs idea to kind of put that that M with the rock hammers around behind the state of Texas or in front of the state of Texas?
2: Yeah, so when Torch initially came, and Torch is a, a logo design company out of the Dallas area, want to give those guys a, plu- a plug. Um, when those guys first came to Midland for a site visit, um, even before the pandemic, um, one of the things that they did is they went around town and you know they 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 saw what Midland is about. Um, one of the things that we talked about with those guys when we sat down at the conference room table day one was. That we wanted them to know that 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 iconic Texas state logo was very important to us. We used to have the state of Texas outline in one of our old logos when we were the Midland Angels. It had a little halo around the, the panhandle. And man, our owner, one of our two owners loves that logo. And then we went away from it when we became the Rockhounds. Um, but yeah, I mean, I heard you say that, that you're from Texas and we know how proud texans are of their state and i love that um let's capitalize on that right i mean let's put that iconic logo in our logo along with everything else and let these proud texans have something else to be proud of
0: watching from afar watching the reaction on the internet it seemed almost universally positive What was it like from season ticket holders or just fans in Midland? Were they into it?
2: Yeah, very much so. I think they were really into it. And it was great seeing the reactions on social media from, you know, the rebrand, because I think a lot of times when teams do rebrands, it's overwhelmingly negative. The, 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 the comments that you see, you know, on, on social media, because a lot of people, people don't like change. And they, they, they like what they're used to, um, but it was, it was great to see, man. I think it was like 95%, if not more, you know, positive comments um, from our season ticket holders. Obviously we haven't had a game, you know, with the new logo yet. Cause the, the season starts for us um, on the road on April 9th and at home on April 12th. Um, but from what we've heard of in the community out talking to fans and that kind of thing away from in the ballpark. Really well-received, and they seem to love it.
0: Merch sales were good?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Perfect. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the season. You guys are back uh, still with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, What can we look forward to at the ballpark?
2: Yeah, so I think it's going to be an exciting year. I mean, you know, the A's at the major league level are right now in a little bit of a transition period with some of the trades that they're making for their established superstar ballplayers. Um, and I think it's going to, you know, who knows how it's going to affect us because we don't have a roster yet, right? Right. Um, but I mean, I, I think in theory, um, you know, it, it helps all of the minor leagues throughout the A system just because they're getting back a lot of young, good, unproven talent who's going to have to prove their level of play you know it's single a and double a and triple a so I, I think it's really going to help us and you know from what we've heard you know we're supposed to have a lot of the players that we had last year um and obviously you know anytime you guys get you get guys that are I guess kind of repeating a level they've been through it they know what it's about um so we think it's going to be a really good season this year and we're anxious to kick off the season on April 9th
0: how much fun is that for you? I mean, now that you know you really are going to be seeing the future of the Oakland Athletics, because that's how the A's, like you said, they build their team. They don't – a good friend of mine's an A's fan, and he's like, we don't re-sign players. Apparently neither do the Astros, but we're getting over that. But how do you – I mean, how much fun is that for you to, to really know that you're looking at the future of the Oakland Athletics?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. That's one of the reasons, you know, way back when in the late 90s, that was a draw for us to the A's and, and, you know, they liked us as well. Um, but one of the things that, that we really liked about those guys was they really seemed to um, I guess, kind of prioritize winning at the minor league level, because I think that they think, at least I've heard A's executives in the past say that if we can teach guys to win at the minor league level, when they get to the major league level, they'll be ready to win again. Um, so yeah, it's great that, you know, that they're going to hopefully send a lot of guys here, um, that are future major leaguers. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we promote ourselves as that, you know, you're seeing tomorrow's major league stars in Midland today. All
0: right. Last question. How good is it? Does it feel to you to see the Texas league name and logo back?
2: Oh, that was huge. So that, I'm not going to lie. That was something that, you know, we were really hoping for. Cause I mean, you talk about, you know, a historical minor league name. I mean, the Texas league is probably in the top three, you know, of all of the minor league team names based on history. I think it's been around since the late 1890s. Yeah. Eight, yeah. yeah. 1888 or something like that, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, we had been kind of, uh, you know, indicated to maybe in the past that that's something that might or might not happen so I don't know that that it was completely closed that was we were going to go back to that you know for the past however many months at the same time we certainly did not know until the news came mm-hmm. out that day um, that hey you guys are going back to the Texas League and I mean we were jumping up and down in the office to get I hate to say our name back, but, you know, to some degree, you know, it's, it's, it's our name, it's our history. So we're, we're thrilled.
0: I'm, I'm super excited too. I'm excited to follow you guys. We will be out for another ballpark ballpark visit. He is Jeff and Holly of your Midland Rockhounds. Good luck the rest of the season.
2: Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you. And thanks for having me today.
0: We had a great time talking all things Midland Rockhounds, but did you know that they're not the only team to play in that part of the state? Let's find out who else had to contend with the West Texas wind on the next Raiders of the Lost Diamond.
1: Raiders of the Lost Diamond. Digging into baseball's past. Presented by Finlake Media Design. There's gold
0: in them, there. Socks? Today we're heading to West Texas to talk about the Amarillo Gold Sox, and boy, I hope we get there by morning. Can you handle two puns in one opening? The first iteration of the Gold Sox opened play in 1939 as part of the Class D West Texas New Mexico League, where they competed until 1942 when the league was suspended due to World War II. The West Texas New Mexico League returned in 1946 as a Class C league, and the Gold Sox came roaring back with them. Amarillo amassed an impressive 93-47 record to finish in third place on the circuit. Future White Sox and Red Sox hurler Bill Evans was the Gold Sox star on the mound, racking up 26 wins and just seven losses and a 3.30 ERA. 1955 was Amarillo's last year in the original league, and it would also bring their biggest star to date, Marshall Bridges, who would go on to play in the World Series for the 1962 Yankees. Bridges won 14 games for the Gold Sox, and played part-time in the outfield as well. Shohei Otani, eat your heart out. In 1966, the Gold Sox joined the Class A Western League, where they would play for three fairly successful seasons. Future Phillies and Orioles backstop Clay Darwimple was a standout on the 67 Sox team, with 17 homers, a 298 batting average. Perhaps most notably for this period, the 68 team featured a player with an 80-grade baseball name. Dixie Upright. Upright held down first base for the Gold Sox by belting out 17 homers and hitting 343. In 1959, Amarillo would strike it rich by joining the AA Texas League. As an Orioles affiliate, the 59 squad boasted Cal Ripken Senior and a bevy of other future but less notable major leaguers. They also began playing at Potter County Memorial Stadium which would host the team for the rest of their existence. Today, the stadium hosts the West Texas A&M Buffaloes. The original run of the Gold Sox ended in 1963, but other Texas League teams would represent Amarillo in their stead. The Amarillo Sonics were a Houston Astros affiliate from 1965 to 67, followed by the Amarillo Giants, affiliated with guess who, from 1968 to 1974. Finally, a second Gold Sox team would take the field from 1976 to 1982. These Gold Sox had Tony Gwynn patrolling the outfield for 23 games and he racked up a 462-490-725 slash line. In 1983, the Padres AA affiliate moved their team to Beaumont where they became a previous subject of Raiders of the Lost Diamond, the Golden Gators. And today, the Amarillo community is represented by the incredibly named Amarillo Sod Poodles. To the, ball
1: game. With the, crowd. the seventh game inning stretch what's going on outside of the ballpark presented by, by the dad hat chronicles to <laughs> So we're really excited to bring our new segment to the
0: show, the seventh inning stretch. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at in this segment is the local community around the ballpark. And if you've ever driven from Austin to Midland, you drive through one of the best kept secrets in the state of Texas. That is San Angelo. So we have Diane Bays from Visits. Is it what is Experience San Angelo? Discover discover San Angelo uh, to talk a little bit about what comes from this city. Diane, how are you doing?
3: I'm great. Thanks for having me, James. It's it's you know I've been here five years, and I've worked and lived all over the state of Texas. And when I started here, we were visit San Angelo. Now we're discover because we want people to discover us. Uh, We are we are a bit of a secret out here in West Texas. We're almost in the geographical center of the state, and uh, it you know we're we're four hours from Dallas, three and a half hours from Austin, five hours from Houston. So three and a half hours from Big Ben. So we're, we're right there where you can get to just about everything quickly. But once you get here, you're not going to want to leave.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that. And I, I want to talk about just what there is to do and also just the changing community. Because, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time there recently. And I love the fact that it is this sort of what I think of as a West Texas town. It's beautiful, the river. And then you also got this growing environment of new hotels and new restaurants and things like that. So speak to what St. Angelo can offer uh, from all of those perspectives.
3: Well, yeah, sure. The, the unique thing, I think, and I find a lot of people have a river that runs through the middle of their city. We have one as well, but ours is right by our downtown. It's, it's a river walk. It's a four mile nature river. So you get to experience the nature of our river, but the other thing that's really cool about it, we're we're the visual arts capital of Texas designated by the legislature and the governor last year. So we have that designation for 10 years. And so we have uh, our Museum of Fine Arts, which is known for just about everything. They have the national ceramics competition that's coming up and it's a, a, a world renowned thing. We have an on plein air Texas activity, but we have two ladies here who started Art in Uncommon Places, and that is what they do. They literally put Art in Uncommon Places. So you'll see a mosaic Volkswagen on a river walk, or you can go downtown and we have Paintbrush Alley, which is a tribute to the the movie, Giant, uh, which was uh, based on the book uh, written by Edna Ferber. And it mentions San Angelo in the book, and it's all about oil and gas and the Western heritage. And then just a couple of blocks down, we have the Pop Art Museum, which includes over 50 pieces of local art done where a bo- a, a bowling alley used to be. So Art Uncommon Places to, tries to beautify areas most people would never think about. So now they're actually attractions for us. So, so we love what they do. And, uh, you know, that goes with our visual arts. But you talked about our heritage. We are and have been for the past four years in the top ten true western towns in the united states by true west magazine and we've always been number one or number two this year we're number one and so we beat the likes of tombstone and dodge city and deadwood they're great places but what we found is our authenticity is what they're after so you can get a pair of handmade boots a saddle you can get a hat made here all of those things are part of our Western heritage. You can even go to our Chicken Farm Art Center and get some hand-thrown pottery. And so that, that is, is just something that I think is really very different and unique about our city. As far as the, the changes that have happened, we're home to Goodfellow Air Force Base and we're home to Angelo State University. So we've got a lot of people in that younger age group That needs something to do. And so in our downtown, we have brew pubs coming in, we have wineries, we have art galleries, we have wine and art galleries. So (laughs) we we have that. And then our food scene, I would put our culinary scene up against anybody, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, all those big cities that you think about in Texas that have that. We have that here. And they're mostly mom and pop restaurants right, who yeah. put their signature on dishes that are absolutely incredible. Nobody has a bad time or a bad meal.
0: I want to touch on something you said when you mentioned uh, being the number one western town, and then comparison to uh, like Dodge City or Tombstone. I one of the things that immediately popped in my head is that yeah, saint Angelo's got all this culture. You've got you've got the fort there. You've got Again, the Air Force Base where, where Gene Roddenberry.
3: That's correct. You know,
0: star <laughs> guy. Woo, look at the, <laughs> ooh wow. I did that. That might be the first time in my life I've ever done that. Right. But but it isn't tourist trappy. Like when I imagine I, I would just got done watching the National Lampoon's vacation. They go to Dodge City and it's very tourist trappy. I love that you just sort of meld into the community there.
3: We do and and you know that's the thing i like about it you, and and we've had we we host a lot of travel riders so they will come in and say i had no idea when when years ago when they started the tourism organization here the person in my chair uh, said it was she called it surprising san angelo because there literally was a surprise around every corner people are like wow i had no idea you had this i mean we have a, a fort from 1867 that still has the parade grounds and 23 buildings that are all intact. Most people don't have that. So you get to see the real picture of what it would have been like when we founded this community. We have brick streets. A lot of people have those, but we also have the original uh, streets on the uh, our first block. We call it block one on Concho Avenue. And you still have the wooden, uh, wooden sidewalks right. on some of those. I mean, that's, that's a, a really fun, hearkening back of that time, we and if and if you really want to see what it was like, we even had have, have Miss Hattie's Bordello Museum. You can go up what we call lovingly the Stairway to Heaven to see what things were like back in the day. And so it's a it's a fun experience for people. They they truly get to to see what it's like. And and you know one of one of our favorite places here is also uh, you know a lot of people repurpose buildings. So we have our uh, Mur- Murphy Performance, uh, Performing Arts Center that was a Coca-Cola bottling plant. They've, re- they've redone our Murphy Performance Hall, which is this beautiful hall from the 1920s. And so you can have great uh, Broadway shows, movies. You can have a lot of things that take place there. And then one of our, our business owners just repurposed the old fire station. And so we have an old central firehouse, Bed and Brew, and a pizzeria with beer on tap that you get to choose. So yeah. that's a, that's a really unique opportunity in our city.
0: And it's an, a, an amazing pizza, uh, there as well. Um, and I know the owners like went to Jersey to learn to make pizza. I mean, I love that that's bringing that to this town. Uh, last question. Um, one of the things that gets people traveling a lot is Christmas. And I think you guys do Christmas as well as anybody else did. you were doing drive through lights before the virus told us to, but talk to me a little bit about about what Saint Angelo does Christmas time.
3: Well, yeah, the almost the entire month of December we have the Concho Christmas celebration, and on that celebration we have the the tour of lights, which they put three million lights along the Concho River that really tell the story of the twelve days of Christmas. And that, because it's on the river, you get double your money because now you have six million lights because of the reflection, right. which is always great. We have uh, the uh, Christmas at O Fort Concho, where those 23 buildings I talked about and the parade grounds are filled with that authentic holiday spirit that you're, you were known for. And so you have that and uh, you have reenactors, you have cannon fire, you have um, um, Uvalde uh, powwow Native Americans who come in and do Native American dance. And then all of the buildings are filled with vendors to purchase your, your holiday wear. We have our Chicken Farm Art Center that has gifts available for you to purchase that are handmade. And that's, you know, that harkens back again to that, that truly cultural, interesting moment uh, that people always want and have not experienced. And so, I, you know, I would, I would say this, we, we uh, did a survey of the, the visitors who've come in our visitor center over the past few years, and we did a word cloud. And the two top words in the word cloud, and these are from people who don't live here, were friendly and home. You can't beat that.
0: You can't. <laughs> you can't beat that. I, I, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm so glad we, had, we got to have you on. Uh, she is Diane Bays from Discover St. Angelo. Check them out. We'll put the URL down here and get yourself to St. Angelo. Thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks, James. Live long and
1: prosper. Lights, camera, play ball, the best in baseball cinema.
0: So we're excited to welcome to Let's Get To Andy Tom Cheston on our Lights, Camera, Baseball segment. Talk a little baseball movies. Um, Andy, first of all, we're getting really close to both minor league and MLB season starting, uh, how jacked are you?
4: Well, I mean, first of all, I haven't been on Let's Get Two in like a year, so it's so nice and shiny and new in here. Um, I just wanted to comment on that because it's it's very impressive to, be, able to <laughs> be a while back on the show.
0: Um, yeah, we just carved two shows out for you, just for you, but it's fine.
4: <laughs> it's fine. Whatever I, you got to do. I, sometimes I put my children in a different room too when I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously excited about baseball season. I will be happier when it's here, but we're kind of in the, I'm realizing even three weeks of spring training is too long because I just don't care about the games.
0: Right. I really
4: don't care about following social media, about people overreacting to things that happen in spring training games. So I'd let, I'd much rather be overreacting to some April losses that nobody's counting on where I get to just tell people that, hey, it's not Memorial Day yet, chill out.
0: Yeah,
4: that's your go-to. And then it's the all-star break, right? But even more exciting, I get to start planning spring break, or spring, uh, excuse me, travel uh, to minor league teams. Um, Finding some interesting ones uh, in New Jersey. There's a bunch of stuff. Oddly enough, where I stay in New Jersey, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones is the second closest team.
0: You know, I'll be there.
4: I do know that. I also know that 9.1 miles away from the hotel that I stay in is the um, New Jersey Jackals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which will not start play until May, but still, um, something to add to the list.
0: You also, if you get the chance in Jersey to get to the Jersey Shore Blue Crabs, it's one of the bestest ballparks, so period.
4: Get more of a drive. Yeah, I, I about would imagine. See how that goes. Well, but yeah, I'm excited about all that. And that, that's what the best part of this. This is spring. It's the best part of spring, as you know, that uh, baseball is just around the corner in all its shapes and forms.
0: Absolutely. And it's kind of fun that this year MILB actually starting before MLB. It's kind of kind of cool that they're going to get their spotlight, which will okay. be uh, uh, basically in about a week. We'll be at Round Rock where all of us will have full season press creds. But one of the things that you know I'm, I'm really into is, is baseball movies. And I thought um, we would sort of highlight, because that's what this segment's about, three movies each that we really like and just, you know, a quick review in case people haven't seen them or maybe haven't revisited them in a while and I thought I'd let you go first.
4: Uh all three at once or are we going No, to we'll do
0: we'll, uh, we'll ping-pong it.
4: All right. Um well, in the interest of ping-ponging, the first one I'm going to mention uh today is A League of Their Own. And all of my movies have a theme to them. Um because at least part of the movie is based on putting a team together, um, in this instance, out of nothing. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, A League of Our Own was a uh, early 90s baseball film about the All-American Women's Professional Baseball League, and that is a mouthful to say. They even abbreviated it, and it still looks too long. <laughs> um, but starring uh, Gina Davis, starring Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, um, just a host of stars, and most famously Tom Hanks, uh, it's one of the most quotable baseball movies, but some of the best scenes are when they're trying to put the team together, uh, featuring um, the scout going to find Gina Davis. Yeah, and going John to find Lovitz just. John Lovitz kills that it. role. But um, taking them from uh, wherever they were in the middle of Montana or Idaho, it someplace out west that nobody actually lives, to Wrigley Field. Or- <laughs> Harvey Field, Harvey Field. Um, yeah. And just all the machinations of that. Uh, and it, again, it has a lot of themes uh, that are germane to this type of year with uh, new beginnings and hopes uh, every te- every fan of every team should have their hopes sky high right now. Even, even the Pirates, even the Pirates affiliates. Even-
0: well, I, you know, it's actually funny because the, the feeling you have right now, if anything's possible, leads me to my first one, which is Field of Dreams. Um, and I know it's it's probably everybody's easy pick. And what I love about this movie, though, is, one, as I've gotten older, I see it differently almost every time I watch it. Um, you know, I definitely loved it for the sort of um, Kinsella storyline. And now I watch Moonlight Graham and I think about choices and things we could have made. Um how life could have been different. And I think it just it really, really holds up. And I also think the reason why, because I, you know people any knows that I'm a, I'm a I'm a habitual ranker. And for the longest time I had major league first and field of dreams second. And I I think I moved it sometime around 2020. And I'm almost calling it like the like pandemic, the sorry the Ted Lasso effect sure. of I needed something to feel good about things in this era that we're still kind of living in and i think field of dreams really does fit why it's okay to borrow a line from another movie to be romantic about baseball and really everything that this game means at so many different levels i think it's almost a perfect film
4: yeah and i think the you know seeing things from different perspectives that movie's 30 years old 30 ish um certainly you're going to see uh things now from the perspective of a father and a grandfather, um, the, the, that game of catch is going to hit you a little bit differently maybe than when you yeah. were a 20-year-old uh, redneck Navy ensign.
0: I was an Army sergeant, but whatever, it's fine. Um,
4: I don't know. I, wanna, I, I know how much you like the Navy, so I like pretending that I do yeah. it all the time. Um, but it also kind of brings me to uh, you know different perspectives. Uh, my next movie is Major League. Uh, Which, again, some of the best scenes out of Major League are at spring training in the camp. Some of the most quotable parts of that movie are from the camp. Uh, One of my favorite scenes is when Willie Willie Mays Hayes, very reminiscent of Jose Altuve, uh, shows up at training camp and is told to go home. Except (laughs) the way Willie Mays Hayes got told to go home was that they dismantled his bed and put it out in the parking lot. And he only got to keep his spot on the team because he ran from the parking lot and somehow beat somebody else in a 60-yard run. Poor uh, gentry.
0: Poor gentry.
4: (laughs) Weirdly enough, on NES, um, I had created um, the actual roster from Major League at some point on um, the, the good baseball game. Oh God, I can't remember its name, but I'll figure that out. Um, but I had Gentry, and I had all the all the names of guys you never saw because they were only in one scene, <laughs> usually doing this
0: or standing in the background for an American Express commercial.
4: Exactly. Who is yeah. that guy? Never seen him before. Timmy, great fantastic um but again it's a it's a movie about long shots you talk about william mays hayes you talk about charlie sheen's character you talk about even tom berenger's character who if you want to talk about relating to things differently that if you watch that now at 50 that's who you see this movie from maybe you see Lou brown's chip <laughs> at viewpoint now but um it's guys that were on their only chance or their last chance. And we're able to put things together, which again is the hope of every baseball fan for their team. This time of year is this is the year that no matter what, no matter what obstacles we have in our our way, it's somehow going to work out. That's the hope. That's what we all keep coming back for.
0: One of the things I love about that movie. um, And it leads to me is why I have the, and we're not talking bull Durham today, but why I have this sort of controversial opinion about bull Durham I love the fact that the baseball's front and center, but they also made it cinematic. Like whether you're a baseball fan or not, Charlie Sheen coming out the wild thing gets you fired up and Mm -hmm. it, you know, and I think they really made a point of saying, this is a movie. Movies are supposed to be fun to paraphrase another, another baseball movie. Yeah, definitely a great choice. How many times did you see it in theaters?
4: Uh, I, know the, I, I know the first time I saw it was the Sunday after prom with uh, my then girlfriend, who we had gotten a fight on the beach in Galveston because we stayed overnight at a beach house somewhere with a bunch of other people and went to a movie th- went to Festival Six on 290 and watched the movie and she promptly fell asleep. And I knew at that point, I'm going to keep trying, but this is probably not going to work out.
0: Uh, first time I saw it was with your brother at a, uh, his birthday thing, I think. And I think we, I think he and I went by ourselves back to see it like the week, a week later or something. So I think I saw it in theaters four times.
4: I think that was one of the first things that I bought consciously um, on VHS and that I wore that tape out. It wasn't even a waiting for an HBO kind of thing because I was in college at that point, didn't have cable, but I bought that. And that that probably cost me two lunches at some point during college, but I bought that and I, I actually remember having to retire that VHS tape. Because not only is it a great movie, but it's also a very comforting movie because you know exactly what's going to happen. And so you've come home, you've had a few beers, you put that on. It's a (laughs) nice thing to fall asleep to.
0: Absolutely. Um, Speaking of falling asleep, I think a lot of the critics did on this movie. And this is where uh, we run the risk of people turning the episode off. I am and will remain a huge defender of the movie Summer Catch. And I don't really understand the pushback, except for maybe maybe just 90s fatigue from those actors like Freddie Prince Jr. and Skeet Ulrich's friend from Scream. like His name escapes me. Shaggy. I don't know if that's what it was. But to me, I don't understand. It's got a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't get it. Like, I think the baseball is well done in there. I think you got Brian Dennehy that immediately elevates your film. Um, I think the game action really is photographed well. I feel like highlighting the Cape Cod League is something completely different and new. And I think it's also a 90s sex comedy in the best possible way. And so I don't, I really don't understand the pushback on the movie, but I've always loved it um, to be a little, I guess, toxically masculine. Um, Jessica Beale is the truth in that movie. Um, so.
4: I mean, crawling out of that swimming pool. Um the bikini that lost uh, launched a thousand ships. It's really—I mean, I'm just
0: thinking about the 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 pan the pan shot when she's walking to the diving board. When he, I mean, epic. But no, I think you know, I think it's also it also has heart to it. It, it the connection of baseball. Freddie Princes Jr. His relationship with baseball is not good, Um but his brother who did survive Iron Eagle too, apparently, sure. and his friends kind of make it realize that it's not just about him. And I don't know. I just, I've always loved the movie. Um, Jessica likes it as well. And so we, it's one that we have to watch every year together.
4: I think I had done some research at one point, because this is not the first time I've heard you wax poetic about summer catch. Um, I think there's a lot of things going on there. I think if I recall, right. And I can't remember the movies that it was competing against. It was released on a weekend with like some heavy hitters and I can't remember who those were, but you can probably go time frame wise and figure out it just got overrun at the movie theaters and not even Freddie Prince jr. Could save it. At right. That um, who was incredibly popular. I mean, carried two Scooby-Doo movies, one of which was absolutely horrible, <laughs> but I think it got caught up in the wake uh, of so much other thing, so many other things happening in movies. And he, plus you had most of that cast, yeah, looked like that cast in Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, it's just it, it, it probably well, felt like, you know, a baseball version of that.
0: To your point, two highly anticipated sequels came out the same weekend. Number one at the box office that weekend was American Pie 2. Yeah. And then number two at the box office was Rush Hour 2. And then Summer Catch and actually... Yeah, it got, in fact, actually both those movies were actually hold over from previous weekends, but still were gangbusters in the box office and still beat it.
4: Yeah, and you got to think that um, American Pie 2 is pretty much get, going for the same audience that Summer yeah. Catch was. So that, that, that it was just a victim of release date, I think, more than a victim of quality of the film by certain means.
0: The, uh, the Cape Cod League doesn't like it very much, but yeah, well, I get that. I get sex. that. <laughs> what was your third one?
4: Well, you know, speaking of uh, baseball movies and um, we've talked about uh, cinematic features. I want to bring a documentary into the play because it continues with my theme of renewal and hope and this idea that you um, can create something new and kind of defy the critics, which, again, is what every baseball fan wants to do. If you're not a fan of the Yankees or the Dodgers at this time of year, you want to believe your team is going to win their division, the World Series, the pennant, whatever it is, Uh, the battered. Uh, Battered Bastards of Baseball, yeah, which is a fantastic documentary. And I know most people, if people tuned out because I you said the word summer catch, a lot of people just tuned out because I said the word documentary. <laughs> right, it right. It's a fantastic film. Uh, Kurt Russell, his dad, Bing Russell, started the Portland Mavericks in 1973. Uh, it was an answer. It was the only independent baseball team in minor league baseball at that point. Um, and it was started as a response to affiliated baseball pulling out of the Portland market because it couldn't, it didn't draw fans enough to satisfy whoever owned the Beavers at that point. Um, but it's a story about, uh, following your dreams, proving skeptics wrong, uh, eventually challenging the status quo and not only challenging, but beating the status quo because, uh, Without some chicanery, uh, the Mavericks would have beaten the rest of the affiliated teams a number of years in a row, and the affiliated baseball was not going to have that happen. Um, It's a fantastic film uh, with a lot of insight, a lot of heart, and just, you know, the formation of the team, which is another theme that I keep going back to basically having open auditions and if you're familiar with the city of Portland at all, those auditions, those tryouts looked like the city of Portland. (laughs) And if you're not familiar with the city of Portland, if you're familiar with Portlandia still look like those guys. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's a
0: great film. It's one I got introduced relatively recently, like in the last three years, maybe. um, And have watched it multiple times. And Jessica's watched it multiple times and that's rare for her, but What I love about it is the heart, the connection of father to son through the Russells. But the other thing, too, is if you think about the landscape of baseball that we both enjoy now. uh, You talked about maybe going to a Jackals game, which is an independent club. Like if the Mavericks don't exist and do that, independent baseball might have because Major League Baseball slowly killed it off. The Mavericks kept it alive. And it's almost as if if they hadn't existed, we might have a very different baseball landscape today.
4: Yeah, um, and it's it's so interesting because a lot of the things they did from a strategy standpoint, and I'm not going to go into the details of that, but in the film they talk about were things that got adopted by major league teams. Um, and so, Bing was an innovator, um, not just from on field play, which he, you know, not really directed that, but game uh, game presentation, fan involvement, being a part of the community, which is something that Major League Baseball really, really struggled with at that point and still is, doesn't do a great job. Although I think they've adopted a lot of things that you started seeing uh, in its infancy in this film, which was really cool. Uh, and just, you know, the, the uniforms were fantastic. The, everything about this film is fantastic. Everything about that team was pretty fantastic. And, and even though they had a very short life relative to baseball um, it's certainly worth, uh, I think the hour and a half of your life to watch it. If you haven't seen it already.
0: Yeah. And kudos to you. Um... Last year, one of the teams that had been contracted basically formed a four-team collegiate summer league, and one of those teams was the Portland Mavericks. So, congrats to bringing them back. Um, one of the my last one for the day, and I hope everybody checks this movie out. And I'll understand that there's a barrier to entry because it is black and white and it is old. Um, it's a movie I discovered in 2020 when we didn't know what was happening with baseball. We were all stuck at home and I was just like thirsting for baseball comment com- content. And that's fear strikes out. Um, Anthony Perkins, Carl Malden, it's the story of Jimmy Pearsall. It deals with his mental illness and it's, there's a couple of things that I love about this movie. One, Carl Malden is an incredibly watchable actor in just about anything he's in, but Anthony Perkins nails this. And Anthony Perkins is an actor who kind of like Mark Hamill had nothing after his his sort of most recognizable role because he was typecast, right? Yep. Anthony Perkins became Norman Bates, and he's fantastic in that. And so I think we we really don't we really underappreciate how good he was. And, and I also really think it's very forward thinking for having a pretty relatively modern take on how we should approach mental illness and how it really is a, it really is a just like you deal with a physical injury something has to be dealt with. I think it's excellent. People should definitely look at it.
4: Yeah, it's, um, it's not the feel-good movies that I think we've talked about with the first five, <laughs> yeah. certainly. Um, it, it's more uh, watch it and then maybe have a stiff drink to calm your nerves. After and you then put on
0: it. Major League. Yeah.
4: Yeah, but it's, um, it's touching and evocative in a way that very few sports films, very few films are, frankly. But it tries something that I don't think any other baseball film has ever tried and really depicting mental illness and depicting how that works in the framework of a baseball team over the course of a season. Um, it certainly hasn't been approached since then. And I can't really think of any other sports movies. There's very few, honestly, there's very few films that deal with mental illness. You can probably count them on the one hand um, girl interrupted yeah, I'm sure I'm yeah. missing a couple, but it's not like this giant roster. And this was 1960,
0: 1957, 57.
4: 57. So it predated Franco. Uh, yeah. So I mean, this is so far ahead of its time and so well done. And uh, you're right. Unfortunately, Anthony Perkins' career wasn't cut short, but the things he could have been involved in, if people had a little bit more foresight, because this is not Norman Bates plays baseball.
0: It's a yeah, very different. Very different portrayal. You also bring up something interesting that I didn't think about from the movie, but how having a mental illness combined with the day in day out grind of not even just playing baseball, but playing for one of the most recognizable franchises in baseball had to be. Mammoths? But it has to have, um, it really had to have exacerbated the whole problem.
4: Yeah, I, I would imagine. So, um, and it's, it, the Pearsall story to begin with is a pretty fascinating story, but the movie I think really does it justice.
0: Well, my film students are going to be looking at this, at this movie next week. So hopefully they'll have the same opinion we do. That's going to wrap up uh, lights, camera, baseball. We're going to be back in just a few weeks. We're going to highlight
1: one movie that we'll discuss what to do. Then. Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. And we are excited to welcome to the show for the first time, and hopefully not
0: the last time, Anna D. Tommaso. She is the creator of the Baseball Bucket List, the Baseball Bucket List podcast, and one of the co-creators of Curve Brim Media, which we're honored to be a part. Anna, thanks so much for jumping on Let's Get to
5: James, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I love what you're doing and can't wait to, to play a small role.
0: Oh, it's bigger than a small role. <laughs> weird. Okay. Um, talk to me a little bit about, when baseball and the bug first bit you, Um, you take such a loving approach to the game and you're always looking for the best side of the game. So clearly you love it. When did that start?
5: Man, I was a baseball fan as a kid, honestly grew up just outside of Dallas. So I was basically a rabid Texas Rangers fan in the days of Pudge and Rafi and Rusty Greer and Juan Gonzalez and uh, just a huge card collector and all that stuff. And then my dad, uprooted our family, moved us to the the Tampa area, which is where my love for the Rays was established and they never let me go. So that's where I am today in terms of being a baseball fan, but just moved back to the Dallas area not too long ago.
0: What a good franchise to be a fan of. I feel like, you know, as an Astros fan, when we got James Click from those guys, I was like, this is how you keep it going with someone who understands it. So it's Awesome. I, I really think they're going to get a new park and it's going to be wonderful.
5: I hope so. We'll see what happens. It's just uh, wait and see right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about it.
0: Whereas Oakland's definitely doing that moving garage sale thing that you see when you're, when you're moving out. So uh, let's talk the podcast then. I mean, um, one of the things I love about your show, first of all, heart is, seems to be at the front of it. It's also really good production value. It sounds good. It moves, which means you spend a lot of time on it why is it something you feel the need to devote that much time to Like what, what do you get out of it? And what do you hope the message, the message is,
5: man, that's a great question. And a lot of compliments coming from somebody that, you know, from you, that means a lot, but basically the idea for the podcast started in 2020, when I was just in that, you know, I think we were all kind of feeling that fiending for baseball and maybe starting to realize kind of how much of a role in our lives it actually played. And then, you know, with the the state of the world and everything kind of understanding all of the people that mean so much to you. And so when I looked back on baseball, what I figured out was I've been so fortunate to see all of these amazing moments. I've been to all the different ballparks. I've done all these really cool things, but the things that stick out to me is who I was there with and what we were talking about and the memories we were making and much less about you know what happened during the actual ball game. So talking to my dad who is the reason I am a baseball fan and I said, you know, I feel like there's something here. I feel like probably if we're feeling this way there's more people out there who feel this way and maybe what we should do is create a show that gives people the opportunity to kind of share what the game means to them and so far so good. I mean, I've been having a blast. It's it's really connected me with a lot of great folks and a lot of fun
0: if you can name it and and i know this is a hard question to ask who has been some of your favorite guests that you've had on um i mean even to last week about the play catch every day which i told you in our private conversation that jessica and i are figuring out a way to adapt it where it fits into our because we'll get out and play catch just if we're bored um we played a lot of catch in 2020 um but who are some (laughs) of the favorite people you've had on
5: Yeah, that's tough. I mean, obviously I have to say my dad was like the very first guest and he was, you know, gracious enough to kind of let me experiment on him. So that's great to have as an archive of history there. Um, Someone we both know well, Eric Mertens, the peanut guy, just a genuine human being who is an absolute pleasure to speak with. Um, Ethan Bryan, last week's episode about, you know, what the game of catch means I've also been super fortunate I had uh, rob nelson come on the show who's the inventor of big league chew and um and
0: former portland maverick right that's the guy that's that was- right
5: that's right yeah and he was he was amazing like that was that was such a fun interview full of like not only baseball stories but life advice and kind of entrepreneurial advice and those those would probably be like my top top three or four
0: Again, the, the play catch, that was such a, I don't know. It, to me, it's to me it speaks to the best part of baseball. And you talked a little bit about your dad. Um, how much, when you're going to a game, do you value the moments between the action when you are ha- able to have, it seems like those conversations you can have at a ballpark you can't have anywhere else.
5: That's 100% correct. Like that's one of the things I firmly believe about baseball is that there's something about the pace of the game that allows you to, one, not only feel like you're actually there, like play unfolds at a rate to where you feel like if I was in this scenario, here's what I would do. And right. it kind of allows you to be a little more of like a, a an armchair quarterback, so to speak. But then the natural breaks, the natural ebbs and flows of the game that kind of allow you to, to have more meaningful conversations with people, are they're a huge part of it. I mean, there's a... a quote unquote, pace of play problem, right? If you ask casual baseball fans, but uh, that's not anything that I've been concerned with. And so that's, that's how I feel about it.
0: I mean, Oh, you just got me on a, like people that <laughs> are complaining. You just don't like baseball then just be honest. You don't like baseball and move on to something else. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's it's that." You know, cause I, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a Texas grad. So I'm a big Longhorn fan. And, but when you go to a Longhorn football game, like you have a role, like you have to be loud and you have, but you're right at a baseball game. You can just, and I think it's why I like going, no matter who's playing, you can just be, and I've taken, you know, I've taken former students who've graduated and that was like their graduation present. We've gone to a round rock game and stuff like that. It it really is, I think where the best parts of us can come out.
5: Yeah. And one thing I know that you'll agree with too, and I know that you're a huge Astros fan, but I know also that you are a, a big time proponent of the minor leagues and the, the indie ball and things like that is, you know, for minor league teams, for independent league teams, it's such a snapshot of the community, right? Like what that team means to the community is exponentially larger than what the, the major league team means to the surrounding area You. That's the sense I get. At least I, I won't speak for everyone, but I think that uh, it, those minor league games, those independent league games, they kind of magnified that component of it too, like the conversational, the the life advice, the whole just juxtaposition of a game, but also what else it means.
0: I couldn't agree more. Um, I think especially when you look at the major league game is really going away from folks like us, like it's corporate sponsors, it's corporate tickets. Um, and I think if you see, you see the symbiotic relationship, um, with, you know, we had tornadoes down in round rock and they were like instantly we're turning it into a shelter versus the pandemic. I mean, how many teams did we see that were doing turning their park into vaccine spots or testing spots or even selling their food? It really is, a, a really symbiotic because they need people to come, right? Like they need Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. to come Mm -hmm. sit down.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I wanted to ask a little bit about Curve Brim Media, which you helped create with Ed and Paul. Shout out to you guys. Um, What was your mission behind that? First of all, we're honored and humbled to be part of it. And just, I can't tell you how excited we are, but what do you think was, what was the mission and what is the goal? I guess.
5: Yeah. So from my perspective, you know, Paul and Ed approached me and I was just blown away that they would even consider me as part of the team. And when they kind of pitched it to me, they started talking and I was like, just nodding along with it. Like, yes, yes, yes. And the gist of it is there are plenty of shows. There are plenty of these independent kind of entities that are recapping last night's game or Mm -hmm. the latest trade or whatever. What Curve Brim is doing that seems to be different is kind of focusing more on the things that we've been talking about, right? The, The community aspect of it, the emotional and relationship aspect of it, and you know, just kind of these these other buckets that are so amazing, but also just underserved in terms of promotion and utilization within the uh, the online space. So when they reached out, I was like, "Yeah, hundred percent! Like, let's do it."
0: One of the things I loved about the mission and one of the reasons why um, I was on board was just I love the concept of mutual support of knowing,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Knowing that you have that someone has your back because you're exactly right. This thing is the wild, wild west, and it can be very easy uh, to ebb and flow with how you're feeling about it. And and you know, I'm one. I'm someone who's always looking for positivity when we can find it. I'm sort of like the Ted Lasso of baseball podcasts, I guess. But uh, yeah, so I, that's. I think that that mission was really important to me, and I, I applaud you guys for making that center.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think people do better in groups, right? Especially when they're they're like minded individuals, and like you said. Like one day with this thing, you feel like only your dad is listening. And then the next day you feel like maybe you're going to take over the world. And the reality is yeah. obviously somewhere, somewhere in between, but it's good to have friends who, who know what that feels like.
0: Totally. And again, I'm, uh, it's a big reason why I'm so excited to be part of it. Now, do you have time to play a little rapid fire before we go?
5: I'll try. Let's see what we got.
0: All right. <clears throat> Clear my throat for my professionalism. Um <laughs>
5: What is your go-to ballpark food? Oh, just your classic ballpark nachos, I feel like. Interesting. Okay. All right.
0: Um, Marvel or DC?
5: Um, honestly, this is going to kill you, but I don't know that I could tell you the difference between those two.
0: <laughs> it only killed me just a little bit. We're yeah. fine. We're fine. If, okay. So you can, now you get to pick or choose either okay. the strangest thing you've seen at a ballpark or the first time baseball broke your heart.
5: Oh man. The first time baseball broke my heart. I was in a summer reading program for Rafi's readers, which was you know, Rafael Palmero, if you colored in enough clocks, if you read enough hours during the summer break, you were entered into a drawing and you could meet Rafael Palmero. and it was a staged event. And so I made it through the first couple of rounds and I even walked away with a, an autograph ball that I still have, but I didn't get to go on the field to meet Rafi, who was like my all time favorite. So it hurt a little bit.
0: That's, and did you find out it was all like cousins of the GM or something that got to go meet him? I mean, yeah, that's, that always seems like it happens. Um, Yeah. All right. What is your favorite team
5: brand in baseball? Team brand, like all of baseball? Yeah. Just, yeah. All of it. Mm. I got to go with the Montgomery biscuits. That's yeah. it's, 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 it's gotta be right. The biscuit bowl, like they've just gone full on. The, so it, I love it.
0: My mother-in-law got me uh, the bacon biscuit hat and she was so proud of herself. Like she had found it. She liked it. It was, it, she was, I make a point of wearing it every time I'm over there, just you know, usually it's <laughs> on display, but I'm like, let me describe it. Um, all right. Dogs or cats,
5: dogs, easy. star Wars or jaws. Um, I'll go, I'll go star Wars.
0: Okay. Kevin Costner as a cowboy or a ball player, ball player, easy. Um, what is your favorite spot to sit in a new ballpark?
5: I love sitting in like the 200 level on the first base side. I feel like that's the opportune viewing angle for everything. Okay. And
0: last movie as I mean, last question to, to, to this episode is dropping on the day of minor league baseball opening day. But what is it? What is your go to baseball movie to kind of get you in the mood?
5: Oh, uh, so it's a tough question. I love a league of their own. That's got to be, you know, the obvious answer. I also love the rookie, right? Like that's one of those never stop dreaming, never stop believing. Plus he's a, he's a devil Ray and he has his debut right here at the ballpark in Arlington. So it's really your perfect film. (laughs) It hits on all levels, you know? So, yeah.
0: And it stars Dennis Quaid. I mean, the the ultimate Texas actor. She's Anna DiTomaso. You can find her with Baseball Bucket List and Curbed Media. Anna, thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to. Let's have this not be the last time.
5: Thanks, James. I look forward to being back. And
1: now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher.
0: So that does wrap up this episode of Let's Get 2. Before we get out of here, I want to do a special shout-out to these kids out here, my film production class. Uh, They came out and helped shoot a lot of the bumpers for this episode. So it was was pretty fun for me to get them to see what we do. And uh, again, maybe you'll be seeing or hearing from these guys at a Cineplex near you. That is our episode. Next week, we will have our first actual game coverage. We're going to be talking all things Round Rock Express. So remember... Get out to opening day tonight, have a good time, and let's get to. Let's Get To is presented by Twitchy Dolphin Media. Executive produced by Jessica Bybee Jedgetts. Produced by Andy Tomchessen, Scott McIntyre, and James Christopher. Associate producers Andrew Nelson, Timothy Jedgetts, and Jess Canaster. Music by Andy Bertelson, Grace Usselman, and On Holiday. All content created by Let's Get Two is the sole property of Twitchy Dolphin Media. All content created by teams covered in the episode are the sole property of the trademark holders. Let's Get Two is a proud member of Curved Brim Media.
5: This podcast is part of the Curved Brim Media Network. Here are some of the other members of Curved Brim Media.
0: I am James Christopher, host of Let's Get 2, and we are going to be taking you on a tour of this great country through the lens of minor league baseball. That's right, from sea to shining sea, we're going to be looking at towns big and small as we explore the greatest game ever invented.
1: This is Patrick and Corey of BaseballMapper.com, and we have made an interactive map to help highlight all baseball teams from the majors down to collegiate summer leagues. We want to bring you closer to baseball. So get on the site and find a team near you today. Hi, this is Ed Rivera of the Dana at Chronicles. Join me as I interview people just like you and players, coaches, GMs on the path that led you to become a fan of the sport.
5: What's up, Bucketheads? I'm Anna DiTomaso, and each week on the Baseball Bucket List podcast, I speak with a different fan about their favorite baseball memories, what the game means to them, and what's left to check off on their baseball bucket list. Hey guys, this is Patrick
0: Larson from the Minor League Baseball Hat History Series. And in every episode, I go through the history of minor league teams through my personal collection of hats. You can find me on Twitter at, at patlarson one I hope you guys enjoy.
5: Hey guys, this is James. I cover the Appalachian League. And you can find me on Twitter at
3: MightUpGravely. M-I-C-D-U-P-G-R-A-V-L-E-Y.
4: And I'm Paul Caputo. I tell the story of America, one minor league baseball logo and nickname at a time, on the Baseball by Design podcast.
1: Learn more about Curve Brand Media at curvebrandmedia.com.